The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This is Working the Podcast, where my colleague Nina Melendez and I discuss a conversation I had on my video series, This is Working. Nina and I take that conversation, we discuss it, we dissect it, and then we extract our top takeaways for you, the listener. Today, we're talking about the importance of working smarter, not harder, about why getting advice on career choices is essential, and how to be comfortable with knowing what you don't know. Here's Nina now. Hey, Dan. How are you after the Thanksgiving break? I'm great. Are you full and well-rested? You know, I am feeling very well-rested. I was in Phoenix, Arizona, Mm. where I don't actually have any family, but my family all gathered. We had a very warm Thanksgiving, which was awesome. So it was just such a great holiday. It's so nice being with people and eating good food. Yeah. What about you? What did you do? So I was also with family, and then we actually did, my husband and I, some renovations around the house. Which I know might sound stressful for some people, but I love it. You know, we've been in our apartment for a while, so I love just giving it a nice little facelift. Great. Some yeah, new appliances, some new coat of paint. It's like a new, brand new, it's like a new place. It's like you, I moved. And do you guys split up the jobs or do you team up on things? Are you the paint person and he's the something else? Like, how does that work? Well, this we hired. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you watched other people we, do home we renovations. Watched, exactly. <laughs> That's great. I find when I do home renovations, yes. I then have to pay someone to actually do them yes. for real. I put a rain gutter around my house and it okay. was like probably one of the things I'm most proud of outside of my three kids. Uh-huh. And the we've been having real rain problems in New York. My backyard was getting flooded. I had a contractor come over and look at it. And he was like, well, this is part of your problem. And he pointed to my rain gutter. Oh, for shame. He was like, whoever built this house, put this thing in the dumbest place. And this thing is like taking all this water and it's putting it right into your backyard. And I was like, oh, that was entirely me. You did admit it was you? I did admit oh. it was me. But it was hard. And I would have I been like, like, who did that? <laughs> that jerk should fire him. Well, I was really excited because I love home renovations. I genuinely love interior design architecture that you spoke with the property brothers, Drew and Jonathan Scott. Yeah, these guys are super interesting. Born in Vancouver, uh, Jonathan is a licensed contractor. Drew is a real estate agent. Their shows have not just been consistently top performers on HGTV. They now make up, I think they said something like 17% of all of HGTV's content Hmm. is either Property Brothers or Property Brothers produced content. Hmm. They created their own production company called Scott Brothers Global, which oversees their entertainment company. And they also have home brands. These guys are involved in a ton of businesses all related to their homework. One thing that I loved was just hearing their journey from being clown performers at their local Parks and Rec to always building stuff and just having their hands in all of the pies and being so excited to do so. Yeah, I mean, this path of entertainer slash failed entertainer Mm -hmm. to working on real estate to getting back into entertainment. Mm -hmm. It seems like it was a natural path. It definitely wasn't a natural path. So hearing their story as they look backward and Mm -hmm. they see like how they got from one to the other and what they are willing to bend on and what they're not willing to bend on and how they have learned the value of their brand. I thought it was a great, super interesting interview. Yeah. You did ask them about spreading themselves too thin, which is a question that I had. And they had a specific incident uh, early on in their career where they sort of realized that they needed to learn how to work smarter and not harder. 
Let's take a listen to how they trace that journey. There are many times when we were trying something new, you know, and we also thought like, you know, what's our get rich quick? What's our, our fast track to get to where we want to be? And what we've learned looking back is there is no fast track. You really have to put the work in. Um, it, people who see someone who, who made it overnight with whatever their, their work or their industry was, that's a one in a million or so. Whereas if you actually put the work in, you can, you know, guarantee yourself some level of success if you really work hard and put your mind to it. So we started, we were doing a bunch of these different jobs and random things. Well, the core always was entertainment. I wanted to act and direct. He wanted to be a magician. And then we ended up, because we, we grew up in a ranch, we were handy. So coming out of high school, we knew we were good at fixing things or building things. So we got into renovating houses back in the mid-90s before it was cool to flip houses. And so between the two of those, as we did a bunch of other things, that's what we kept coming back to. And what started as a hobby flipping houses turned into a full business. And, and what was really annoying for us was we were taking on all the risk of these properties back in the day. You know, what if it doesn't sell? Our margins are being pinched because we had to hold, had to carry a property longer. We would average about 30 grand profit per property. And that's going back 20 years uh, or so for us. But we had all the risk. We were doing all the work. We were doing everything and, and having to sell it. One guy came in, same age as us, just a young guy. And he, he bought 10 of our properties from us and he did nothing but rent them out and hold on to them for a few years. And he turned around and he cleared a million dollars doing no work at all. And that was the first time where we were like, I feel like we're not using our brains, we're just using our brain. We need to rethink this whole process. If I had any advice for anyone today, and, and we would also be in an even better position than we are today, if we had just settled down a little bit. Play the long game. You know, while they were describing their work, I, I was thinking as they were talking about how they were built the properties in my head i was like this seems like a crazy way to make money yeah. so when they talked about that guy who came in and then bought all those properties and then turned that into an actual money maker i was mm -hmm. like oh, this this is that's the difference between someone who's just in it to make money mm -hmm. versus these guys who were in it for almost either a mission or for entertainment they they weren't in it for the real estate from yeah. the beginning I think being very business savvy, like this guy who comes in and sees a property and buys it, that's something that I think is innate. And I don't think that the property brothers had that initially. Yeah. I also think, though, that maybe it's not, I agree that it's innate, but I also think that it has to drive you. Like, I think for these guys, it didn't, it's not what mm -hmm. drove them. Mm -mm. So even if they had done that, I don't think they would have really loved it. It's like, you know, you got to wake up and enjoy what you're doing. So when you talk about joy, what happens when you have multiple things that bring you joy? How do you pick a career based on that? Because the Property Brothers, for example, they were talking about how one really liked acting and wanted to go into acting. The other one loved real estate more, but they both loved to perform. Like When you're multifaceted, how do you pick what lane you're going to be in for the rest of your career. I'm not sure that there is a solution for that, but the key is trying different things. If you just dream that there is something better for you, then that's not the way to find your joy. You actually have to be doing things and having your hand in multiple areas. You know, these guys, Drew and Jonathan, they were trying a bunch of different things. They were still entertaining on the side and they were, do they were buying properties, they were rehabbing them, but Drew didn't give up this dream of being a clown. And Jonathan was still interested in entertainment. So and they were trying to find a way in. And so I think that you kind of have to have these side hustles as a way to be able to find your true hustle. So when you say you should be doing multiple things, are you talking about side hustles or are you saying we should jump from job to job? I am saying you should have side hustles. I don't believe you should, ju you should jump from job to job. So the more you can try things 
without giving up your current line of work. It's like it's the advice they always give to people who want to do startups, which is try doing a startup while you're doing your current job. Yes, your life's going to be horrible. You're going to have two jobs and maybe a family, and it's going to cost you all kinds of time. But you want to preserve optionality as much as possible. And I think people, I think Americans generally realize that's the way to go. According to Bankrate, more than half of Gen Zers have a side hustle. Wow. Yeah. And 45% of those who have side hustles are making 100K or more. So this is like not something that's being done as a way to be able to survive. It's, it sounds like it's, it's being done as a way to make sure that you're trying different things or that you're not bored with what you're doing yeah. in your main hustle? Out of interest, I suppose, or just having a little bit more discretionary in- income. But I think that's really interesting that there was once upon a time where you picked a career out of college and you were kind of in that career, in that even company yeah. for you know dozens of years. Now we're realizing that people are multifaceted, have many different interests, and they don't want to stay in one job or in one role for that long. Yeah, well, I'd go even further, which is I think that companies have realized that they have to allow their employees to have these side hustles, that there's a need to make sure that if you're going to keep employees happy, it means they're happy in their job and maybe they're happy in their other job outside of their job. You think companies are realizing that? I mean, how can you have these numbers without companies? There's no way every employer, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think every employer I think there are a lot of non-competes out there, and that's a problem. You pointed out that over 50% of Gen Zers in a full-time job have a side hustle. Mm -hmm. But overall, that same survey from May found that 43% of full-time workers have a side hustle. Mm. So this is, we are a nation of side hustles. I think that employers probably know this is going on, but it's a great question. I would actually love to hear from anyone who is listening to this. If you're a manager, do you think your employees have side hustles? Mm-hmm. Are you okay with them having a side hustle? Mm-hmm. As you said this, I'm like, I'm not sure how many people on my team actually have a side hustle. Well, it's because a lot of people won't disclose it because they don't huh. want it to get in the way of the performance of their day job. Right. And yeah. also den- and, and also what a side hustle versus a hobby. Like being very clear about that. We should we should look into that data. Yeah. We should normalize side hustles. You think we should? I think we should, yeah. Yeah. What would your side hustle be? Oh, that's a good one. I think probably building storm drains. I would like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's go to a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear more from the Property Brothers. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back. As Drew and Jonathan got to be more 
popular, they started becoming more in demand for brands. Brands wanted to be associated with the Property Brothers. Mm -hmm. And Drew and Scott had the opportunity to really just chase the money. I mean, they could have really cashed in, but they decided to be much more thoughtful about where they take their brand. Let's listen to how they approach those partnerships. We, we don't compromise on our integrity. And that's one of the things that you have to think about what you are trying to grow and nothing is more valuable than your reputation. We are amazing partners. With Warner Brothers Discovery, with Chorus in Canada, we're in 160 countries and we definitely go over the top to make sure that we understand what our partners need and they understand what we need. And there's always a common ground. In fact, the most contentious point is always when you're negotiating contracts. That's the hardest part. So my advice for anybody who's trying to do this is understand how important that part of the, the whole thing is, the contracts. There are certain things you might have to just swallow your pride and give up. There are other things, if you're looking at it like a game of chess and you're moving toward the end goal, you got to think about what's important in the long term and uh, focus on those. So that's my advice for somebody is you got to think about the big picture. You'll notice in business, there's a lot of stuff that you deal with that takes up so much of your time. If you were to fast forward a year from now, I bet you 80% of that crap does not matter at all. I really appreciated the point of looking at things like a game of chess. And whether it's business deals or even your career, thinking several steps ahead. What I would love to know is if it was easier because it was the two of them. Yeah. So they could bounce ideas off of each other. They could have a sounding board off of each other. You know, they bought out their rights pretty early to everything they do. And they made sure that they were in control. And I think it really helped for them to say they trusted in each other. And so th they were incredibly lucky to have this built-in partnership, this built-in sounding board. I think for the rest of us, uh, finding someone that can help you out in these times, it's, it's much harder. I'm a big fan of asking people for advice, even the little things. I like to think of it as the president and the cabinet members. And there are a few trustworthy people I go to that I know bring different perspectives. And so when I go to them for a with a question, I know that I'm going to get a different perspective or a different reason for why they believe the thing they believe or why they're giving me the advice they're giving me. Yeah. Um, and I don't think family members are good because I think that they're too close to you. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I think. Would you say no family members or you take every, I mean, it sounds like what you're doing is applying a different filter to everyone you're getting advice from. Yeah. So do you have like a family filter where you're like, well, you know what's what, like, you just want what's best for me. And so therefore yeah. you're not going to give me a, you know, I, I know that your answer is just, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever's like, great for if you. If I ask my mom anything, do. it's like, follow your dream, you, right. know, you know, and I'm just like, okay. It's good advice. <laughs> okay, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um. But yeah, I think they should be people that you obviously that you trust, but you think are very wise and are going to have your best interest in mind. One of my favorite things about asking people for advice mm -hmm. is not necessarily the, I love the advice I get back, but what I find really handy is having to explain my thinking to people. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Years, many years ago, I thought about launching a startup. It was going to be the site that was focused on doing reviews. I really was getting, I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to build a review site. And... um I remember talking to my parents about it. We were having brunch one day, and I was committed. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Wirecutter just started. I'm like, I could do this better, and this is – I was I love that whole thing. And I started walking my parents through my plan, and I just remember them 
the quizzical look on their faces they listened to me doing it. I realized I was explaining it so badly mm. that and there were massive holes that in my head I had papered over. Mm-hmm. But as I had to explain it to them, the holes started getting bigger and bigger. And the joy and the kind of like fire in my belly started to go out, not because they were putting it out, but because I was putting it out myself. Mm-hmm. And that whole process of like bouncing something off someone else, mm-hmm. you're kind of hearing your own internal monologue telling you like, yeah, you don't have this one figured out yet, Dan. So on the flip side of asking for a lot of advice, sometimes things can get diluted. What would you say is the right amount of number of people you should ask advice from when it comes to your career? I think that there is no one right number, Mm. but it's the point where you are bored hearing yourself ask the question and you kind of know in your head what the answer is that you should stop asking. What do you think? Uh, I would say an odd number. So maybe five. So you've got one who tips the scale. Got it. So yeah. do you keep track? Do you have, are you like a whiteboard person where you've got like you're keeping check marks of? Not for who I ask advice from. No. no, no. Here's something actually I want to touch on about yeah. the Property Brothers. So in their decision making, something that they always keep close to heart is how any decision they make is going to affect their reputation. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. To me, that was that's the guardrails on all of this. Yeah. And you talked about the playing chess. It is a lot easier to play chess when you know the board you're playing on. The board they're playing on is their reputation. Yep. They are able to think all the moves they make have to be able to work within their reputation, not dilute their reputation, not ruin their reputation. That is going to enable them to stay in the game for however long they want to be in business. Like you can get more money, but it ruins your reputation. That's a no-go. This helps your reputation, but it doesn't get you any more money. Maybe you want to do it anyways because building your reputation will help you with a deal that comes two deals down the line. So I love that framework is what can you do to make sure your reputation is always growing? And it's for them, it's because they're on camera talent. I think it's true for anyone. I mean, yes, for them, they are selling their brand. But Mm -hmm. I think it's true for all of us. I don't think you have to be selling homeware to worry about your reputation. Your next job is going to depend on it. Who partners with you, who hires you, who wants to work for you. It is all dependent on your reputation. I know people who reached out to me when I left a job and I moved to different jobs, reached out to me on LinkedIn and saying, hey, remember when we worked here? Uh, You know, if you're hiring an editor, if you're hiring or whatever. And I have distinctly not forwarded people's resumes because I remember working with them and they were difficult or they were inappropriate. All of that stuff, like reputation is really is paramount. That's all that matters, absolutely. yeah. You know, I think that there's a misconception, though, that your reputation has to be absolutely bulletproof. Mm -hmm. You know, you are someone that knows everything. Mm -hmm. Your reputation can be someone who is just a good listener or has a learning mindset or a growth mindset. And the Scott brothers have really honed that. They are not embarrassed at all about this idea of being learners and of trying to figure things out and bringing partners with them on that journey. They are very open about this idea that they are not experts in everything they do, or they're not experts in a lot of the stuff that they work on. And I thought it was just a great mindset. So let's listen to what they had to say about that. The big thing for us is it's a no ego thing. Like we, we're always going to learn. There's always going to be something we don't know. And even as a, like a real estate agent, so many times I find uh, other professionals that they pretend to know everything. They want to look perfect in the eyes of their client. They think that's what they need to succeed or to be a success. And that's not the case. I think more and more what we notice, no matter, no matter what level of business, whether we're B2B or whether we're working with a, with a customer or consumer, 
they want a real person. They want to feel like you're actually listening and you're actually hearing them. You're not just um, saying pre-recorded lines. And so I'm the first one to admit if somebody asks me something I don't know, I'm like, I don't know, but I'm gonna do everything I can to find it out for you. And I think when people see that we're just real and we're admitting that we don't know everything, but we're gonna work hard to help them, then it, it works out. And I think that's something that our parents instilled in us right from when we were kids is you never have to pretend to be perfect. We're humans, we're not perfect, but get in there and, and keep learning and keep trying, or even early on when we were failing, keep failing, fail fast and learn and grow. Fail fast and learn and grow. I love that. A lot of what they talked about reminded me of the Bob Pittman interview. I feel like yes, we talk about Bob we Pittman do. a lot, we don't break, we? He comes yeah. up a lot. Um, but this idea of just trying things and of failing and of being okay with that, it is better to move quickly and to learn something and make a decision quickly, learn something, even if it fails, you've learned and you can apply that to what goes next. But these guys are really committed to the idea of of not being afraid of asking the dumb questions, of being the people in the room who are saying, tell me how this works. I don't really know how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to imagine that gets harder as you become a star. Yeah. Right? Like I think the higher you get in management or at your company, the more expectation is laid at your feet and you have to sort of put on an air of having the answers because you're in management or because you're in leadership. I mean, you tell me, I imagine that must be difficult for people to come to you and be like, can you give us an answer to a thing? You know, there's a guy named Eduardo Briseño who has talked a lot about this, um, about this learning time and performance time. Mm. And I think there are times when it is okay to be in this learning mode. And there's other times where you can't be asking the dumb questions. Right. So while I love, I wish I could say, yes, you can ask dumb questions all the time. Yes. When you're the expert in the room, when you're, you have teams that are following you, I think when they're relying on Mm -hmm. you, I think you can ask the clarifying questions about things, Mm -hmm. but you also have to have answers. You can't always say you don't know. At some point you have to know. It's like if you're a pilot. Right. <laughs> right. Before you step into the cockpit, you're allowed to be like, what What does this do? What is that? And you're allowed to ask those dumb questions as you're studying to be a pilot. But then once you're flying the plane, you can't be like, what does this button do? Yeah, remind me. Yeah, uh, remind what do me I use again. this switch for? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe the way to think about it is in your line of work, you do have to be an expert. I think that there's a little bit of of humility, but also of trusting yourself. So being humble that you don't know everything, but also trusting that when you do know something, you know it. Yeah. There was a point when they were recording early on in their show where they decided to do something just off the cuff and they said, hey, just keep it in. And it turned out to be their brand of how they were going to be on the show. And it was super popular and it's kind of what made them them. And it's this like understanding of like, look, I don't know a lot about a lot, but this I'm sure about and let's go with this. That's such a great call. So let's play that clip. Very first day of filming Property Brothers. So we had never done TV before. I mean, we, we as an actor, I did some bit parts and some things, but we never hosted a show. And they told us on day one, this is how these shows are. You're delivering the information and blah, blah, blah. And Jonathan were like, it's so boring. It was super boring what they were telling us to, to do on, like, it was very hosty. Come walk through this house. So I said to them, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't want to be a difficult talent. I know it's our first day, but to the director, I said, is there any chance you'll let us, can we just do it our way? Can we just be, like, be ourselves and have fun with this for a minute? As and an extra take. Yeah, as an extra take. And at first they said no. Then they said, well, we'll do it as a spare take, which you know means you're just gonna, it's gonna hit the editing room floor. Anyway, sure enough, they did show that to the network. And the network was like, there's something here because we were just natural, we were funny, we were engaging, and they loved it. That the head of HGTV 
Kathleen Finch said that our show and the way we did it completely changed the way home garden television was. Any design renovation shows were because we were real. We're no longer stuffy, using stuffy design terms. So that to me was an aha moment to realize that if we are just our true selves, it connects with people and they love it. What you can hear here is that they were, you're right, they are experts. I mean, even if they don't know that they're experts, they're basically like telling the expert, hey, let us do it our way also. Mm -hmm. And it turns out their way was right. But I struggle with this. I, I, I still, as much as I would like to say it is important to be the learner in the room and to always be okay asking the dumb questions, I still struggle with it. I mean, there was, I was in a meeting yesterday and someone was using an acronym and I was like, I should know what this acronym is. And he was using it nonstop in this meeting. And I was like, do I just keep nodding and then go look it up after or do I ask? And eventually I was like, can you just remind me what that stands for? <laughs> and so I don't know. I would like to say that it is okay to always ask the dumb questions, but I, f I still find it difficult. Was it an acronym that you did, you should have known or was it? Not? Yeah, it's probably, I probably should have known it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. He was, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he ex explained what yeah. the acronym was. So, but I, my, I guess in my head, I don't know whether he was like, I can't believe Dan doesn't know this. But why are we so concerned about how people That's true. measure our intelligence? Yeah. Because you, so you don't know the acronym, but it doesn't mean you don't deserve to sit in the seat you sit in. Yeah. But yet there's this thing of like, well, if I admit this, then maybe they'll think that I actually don't belong here. I don't, and I'm not. I think that it is not. I'm thinking also about like, if someone had said to me, what does that acronym stand for? I would never think, oh, this person's an idiot. I would think I should have explained it. And then I could explain it. And then so it is this kind of thing where like you think that you look some way in someone else's eyes. But if you were in their shoes, you would not be thinking the way you think that they are thinking. I don't know. Now you say that. I, I do remember I had an EP once when I worked in financial news who asked me where the CBOE was, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. And I looked at him. He goes, well, yeah, where is it? And I'm like, in Chicago? Yeah. But that's, I mean, and I definitely had a moment of like, how do you get this job? <laughs> I don't know. So I feel like we're dancing around this because the truth is, if you are in financial news, you should know where the CBOE is and right. it stands for Chicago. So, right. I, I don't know. Maybe like, I think that, let's, yeah. I think Eduardo uh, Brisenio might have a right there times yeah. where you are in learn mode and there's times you're in performance, in performance. Mode and trying to figure out which one of those modes you're in is probably pretty essential. So you can't always ask the dumb questions. Mm -hmm. You got to know which mode you're in to be able to know which dumb questions you can ask. And I'll add to that. It's not just knowing what mode you're in, but also feeling confident and comfortable in each mode. Yes. So when you are in performance mode, being confident about it and stand, you know, and not totally. and approaching it with knowing that you know what you know. Yep. And when you're in a learner, learning mode, being, being okay. okay. If you look back at the entire, this entire episode, the... One thing that ties the Scott brothers together, besides the fact that they're twins, is that they are willing to try a lot of different things and they want to learn. They're in this business of constantly evolving and learning as they go, but they do it by bouncing ideas off of each other. Nina and I talked about this idea of finding your board, of finding that person you're bouncing ideas off of. I would love to hear from you. Who is on your board? Who do you go to for ideas or advice? And how has that worked out for you? Let us know on LinkedIn using the hashtag, thisisworking. Please share this podcast episode with a friend and review it. It helps new listeners find us. If you'd like to hear the full conversation between Dan and the Property Brothers, check the LinkedIn news page. We'll drop a link for you in the show notes. This is Working is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Sarah Storm, Stephen Valdivia, Asafki Drawn, Taisha Henry, Andres Cordona, and Lolio Briggs. 
Joe DiGiorgi mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm Nina Melendez, senior producer. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious. 